0: When I say the word crossroads, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Is it a literal intersection that you first think of? Or is it the figurative phrase of a moral impasse that you imagine? Either way, the idea of a crossroad is the biggest example of the human condition in that we tend to have a very linear way of thinking. Once we are presented with multiple options, We see them as having their own separate paths with different outcomes at the end of each. The most difficult part that most, if not all of us experience, is deciding which path is the right one to take. We stand there thinking of what each path may offer. Though there is nothing inherently supernatural about crossroads, they definitely have their own mystique. So much so that many cultures perceive them as a deeply spiritual place where almost anything is possible. And if you find yourself standing on a crossroads, who knows, maybe you'll find someone willing to lend you a hand towards your future, or maybe you'll find a figure willing to do anything to take what's most precious to you. My name is Sergio Alvarado, and I would like for you to join me in exploring this world's fascinating fables. Episode 3, A Twisted Grin in the Moonlight Crossroads have piqued the interest of many cultures in the past, and almost all folklore that includes crossroads, the practice of witchcraft is present. In Haitian voodoo, a figure known as Papa Legba is the keeper and master of the crossroads and serves as a spiritual medium between the iwa, which are the primary spirits of the religion, and humans. Over in Greece, they had a very similar figure that stood as the patron of the crossroads. The three-faced goddess Hecate was heavily associated with the Crossroads. Her title as the Goddess of Witchcraft and Magic cements the idea that Crossroads hold great power to affect our lives and future, and if one story is to be believed, Crossroads can be the place where you trade your soul for everything you have ever wanted. Robert Johnson is now regarded as one of the greatest blues musicians to ever pick up a guitar. He was born in Hazlehurst, Mississippi in May of 1911 out of wedlock. This detail already casts a large shadow on the newborn and the reputation he would carry with him for the rest of his life. Not much is actually known about his father, Noah Johnson, but his mother, Julia Dodds, was married to a relatively prosperous landowner and furniture maker in Charles Dodds. Shortly after Robert's birth, Charles was chased out of Hazlehurst by a lynch mob after a land dispute that he had with white landowners. With nothing left for her in the town, Julia left with baby Robert and her 10 other children in tow. Julia and her children would later meet up with her husband who had now changed his name to Charles Spencer in Memphis, Tennessee. This is where Robert would grow up for the next decade, studying at Carney's Avenue Colored School. Memphis would also be the place where Robert would find his love for the blues. Reluctant to work in the fields, Robert instead turned to his guitar, but couldn't quite get a hang of it. He would practice day in and day out, but couldn't hear any improvement in his technique. He sat at juke joints, listening and learning from the early pioneers of Delta Blues, but still, he saw no improvement in his own music. Robert then met the girl of his dreams, Virginia Travis. Absolutely smitten with each other, the two married at the ages of 17 and 14. Robert was the oldest of the two, and he knew they couldn't get married at their age. So he lied about their ages on their marriage certificate. Just a year later, Virginia became pregnant with their child. Determined to take care of his wife and unborn child, Robert gave up music, putting a hold on any progress he may make, however unlikely. Robert then started to work in the fields to make some money to provide for his new family. Robert worked in the hot sun for hours with the thought of his young bride and his possible future son driving him forward. However, it also took time away from him being with his family. As her due date quickly approached, Virginia decided that she would go to her childhood home in Penton so that she could receive help from her family in caring for the newborn. Robert followed closely behind, but he now realized that with the help from Virginia's family, he would be able to pick up music once again. As he made his way to Penton, Robert would make frequent stops to play his music. However, his skills with his guitar were still as bad, if not worse, as when he gave it up. This greatly hurt his confidence, but every time he would hit the road, he could only think about his wife and the face of the child he hasn't even met yet. Days passed, and he slowly started to gain a reputation for being a terrible musician. He ignored the whispers and carried on his way. He finally reached Penton and searched high and low for his wife's family. He eventually found their home and approached the door with excitement and anticipation to meet his child for the first time. However, this excitement would be quickly shattered by the news he received from the Travis family. While Robert slowly made his way to Penn, Virginia went into labor. Though things seemed like they were going well, her condition quickly took a turn for the worse. Virginia died during childbirth, and the baby wasn't long for the world either. Still clutching to his guitar, The Travis family blamed the deaths of young Virginia and her child on the devil music that Robert was so fond of, thus planting the seeds of the legend that we speak of today. The deaths of his wife and child drove Robert to dive full force into his music. At the age of 19, he started to play on street corners and took any chance he had to perform. Each pluck of his guitar string was loud and dissonant. Eventually, he found himself in Robinsonville where two other blues legends would play, Sunhouse House and Willie Brown. During the intermissions of their shows, Robert would take one of their guitars and force the audience to listen to him play. People got tired of the terrible music he would play, and even asked House to force him off stage. This eventually became too much for the young musician, and he was driven out of town altogether. Nobody heard from Robert for months. The whole town started to believe that he may have died of embarrassment under a bridge or somewhere he couldn't be found. One night, out of nowhere, Robert showed up at one of House and Brown's shows. Surprised to see him, the two welcomed him to the venue with open arms. Robert then asked if he could play. Perhaps House felt sorry for the young man, or maybe it was something else entirely. Whatever it was, House let the young man go up on stage and play his music at least one last time. Young Robert took to the stage, guitar in hand, and he took a deep breath in and then started to play. The music coming from his guitar stunned the audience as usual, but not in the usual way. At this point, Robert would have been booed relentlessly and even thrown off stage. But tonight, the audience was captivated by the amazing music being strummed before them. Then Robert started singing. His cool, rugged voice matched perfectly with each note that he strummed. By the time he finished his first song, the whole crowd had their mouths wide open in amazement. And once he was done with his set, they erupted in applause. Somehow, Robert became a musical genius seemingly overnight. His fingers that couldn't find the notes on the fretboard were now gliding effortlessly over the neck of the guitar. His out-of-tune strums became crisp strikes on the steel strings. His confidence that was shattered into a million pieces now had him standing taller than any man or woman in the building. But how was this possible? How could someone who struggled for years to learn how to play the guitar suddenly play like a classical master in a matter of a couple months? Well, Robert may have told the world how he did it, in the lyrics of his songs. If you were to look up Robert Johnson on any music streaming site, You will see that his two most popular songs to this day are Crossroad Blues and Me and the Devil Blues. Now, if the names of these two songs don't already paint a large enough picture, then let me elaborate. Robert was suspected of signing his soul to the devil at, you guess it, Crossroads. We don't know what actually happened, but the stories of a man who was totally incompetent with a guitar suddenly becoming as good, if not better, than the blues legends he played with spread like wildfire. Rumor has it that Robert, being down on his luck, was thinking about ending his life. His wife and child were dead, his musical career had majorly flopped, and now, he didn't even have two cents to his name. With all this weighing heavily on his mind, he started down a long, dark road. He walked for what seemed like days, but had only been less than an hour. His feet dragged with every step he took. Every breath felt like a waste of oxygen. He was just a shell of a man. Eventually, the full moon was right above him and lit his path. He lifted his head for a brief second and noticed that he was at a crossroads, both figuratively and literally. He fell to his knees and prayed for God to strike him down then and there so he could finally be reunited with his wife in the sun that he never knew. His prayers weren't answered. He then damned the god who allowed his life to be as bad as it was. Broken and hopeless, he stood once again to continue on his way when he was suddenly met with a twisted grin in the moonlight. Startled, Robert stumbled back to the ground, unable to take his eyes off of the grin and the dark figure that seemed to be the absence of light itself. The figure asked Robert if he met all the curses he directed toward the God of Abraham. Robert then answered the figure, much to its delight. The figure then told Robert that he was the devil, and that he actually had the power to change Robert's life for the better, unlike the God of Abraham and Isaac. He said whatever Robert desired most would be his, but for a price. Robert explained how he yearned to be the greatest blues musician to ever live, but that he had nothing to offer the devil. The devil explained that he had no interest in the material things of man. What he wanted was Robert's mortal soul. Robert figured that he had nothing else to lose. So he shook the devil's hand and sealed the unholy contract. From that moment forward, Robert would become the greatest blues player to ever pick up a guitar until his death in 1938. The actual events that happened during the time Robert left the club are unknown. Robert's supposed to deal with the devil may have been born due to the unpopular and frankly racist view that black music was of the devil. Whatever the case is, if you find yourself at a crossroads and you are met with a twisted grin in the moonlight, you may be able to get everything you ever desired at the price of your soul. Oh, and one last thing. The events that surrounded Robert may not have been supernatural at all, but the circumstances of his death might be. If you had been paying attention You would have noticed that Robert died at the young age of 27. If Robert did sell his soul to the devil, then he may have unknowingly started a curse. This is because Robert was the first member of the infamous 27 Club, a common name for the celebrities and musicians who all died at the young age of 27. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fascinating Fables. If you did, please consider subscribing and leaving a review of this podcast wherever you're listening. The music in this episode was provided by freemusicarchive.org. For more information of the artists featured in this episode, please refer to the description of the podcast down below, and please support the amazing artists on the website. Until next time, my name is Sergio Alvarado, and thank you for joining me in this week's fascinating fable.